0: Q to the Unbelievable Podcast. I am B.J. Rydell, back here with my guy, Drew Mahold, and today we are talking about another Minnesota Vikings victory. Yes, your Minnesota Vikings overcame the Detroit Lions 34-20 to yesterday as of this recording and have now won two games in a row, which by some standards is a winning streak, which is something that the Vikings, have, of course, have not had this season and wasn't something that, you know, two weeks ago we weren't foreseeing. And all of a sudden, that kind of irrational hope that Drew and I were alluding to on last week's show has blossomed into something a little bit more objectively rational and potentially uh, potentially a little bit more than that. So Drew and I will go through this uh, most recent Vikings uh, 30-plus offensive output performance um, and another 200-yard performance from Dalvin Cook. I should say his first 200-rushing-yard performance from Dalvin Cook. And all the good things the other uh, Vikings did on Sunday. So we'll do that, and then kind of, uh, you know, see where we're headed here. We got a big matchup next week against Chicago, of course, which we talked mm-hmm. about before. And uh, Act Two has now been completed in terms of getting this team back to relevancy before uh, Thanksgiving. So, all right, let's uh, let's go. Let's dig into this here. Um, so your Vikings, of course, winning by a, a pretty solid margin once again. It, you know, if you were watching that game, it kind of lost. Um, you lost any hope for Detroit probably around the second quarter, based off the way that Dalvin Cook was playing and the way that the offense was humming. Uh, again, this really seems like more of a Dalvin Cook game. But because of what we always do, let's start with the quarterback position here with Kirk Cousins. His numbers were pretty. Uh, he wasn't asked to do a whole lot. But the numbers are good: 13 for 22, 20, 11 yards per attempt average. Um, And then three touchdown passes only sacked once yesterday. What'd you think of Kirk cousins?
1: The Vikings are going against the grain here, right? Because every team in the league, it seems like is asking their quarterback to do more and more uh, each week, each year in the NFL, the Vikings and Mike Zimmer's philosophy and Gary Kubiak now are going against the grain and essentially trying to get Kirk to do as little as possible uh, to win games. And, the last two weeks it has worked out beautifully uh i think eat well this week he had 20 pass attempts last week was 14 meanwhile dalvin's had like what 30 carries and then 22 this week and madison had 12 against the lions as well so uh you know there it's it truly is building off of the run but creating play action off of an effective run game and you know for the longest time i think if you go read you know what the analytics say and what kind of the modern approaches to the nfl it's well you know it doesn't matter you know, who you're running back is for play action. It's going to work or, uh, you know, passing the ball, you know, seven out of 10 plays is more efficient than running the ball half the time. And the Vikings are actually running the ball more than half the time. And yet their offense has been dominant two weeks in a row. Now that could be the product of playing poor defense twice in a row, at least against the run, right? Green Bay, and Detroit, not great against the run defensively. Um, but either way it's working. Gary Kubiak has this team humming in terms of efficiency and for as much as you like to criticize him for, you know, calling runs on second and long, for example, uh, the zone running situation here is working out really well. Uh, offensive line is playing well, and it doesn't seem like anybody can stop this running game right now. Which is is nice to have that type of momentum moving forward against Chicago here.
0: So I'm glad that you brought up the efficiency of this offense relative to Kirk Cousins' statistics because I prepared those statistics <laughs> yes. for you. Love that, uh, Kurt Cousins over the last two weeks for the Vikings, 24 for 34, 480 yards and four touchdown passes. Those <laughs> are the volume numbers. That sounds like a really, really, really high scoring game for what? In college, probably. That sounds like a Patrick yeah. Mahomes, Texas Tech. It sounds, it sounds like a Big 12 game. Yeah, Big 12 game. Thank you. Um, oh, but to split that up over the last two weeks, 11 for 14 for 160 and one against uh, Green Bay, which, of course, is a victory. Then yesterday's performance, which we went over before, 13 for 20, 2, 20, and 3. So those are the output numbers, your volume numbers. Now, I went ahead and put together what the drives have looked like for the Vikings over the last two weeks as well, since I think that this is more telling in terms of the efficiency of this offense. So as you recall, last week against Green Bay, some of the highest efficiency you'll ever see in terms of offensive output, seven drives for the Vikings, the first four all touchdowns. The next three, when they're kind of just, you know, trying to maintain control, three straight punts. So they go four for seven in terms of touchdown drives. Mm -hmm. Yesterday against Detroit, the first two drives, again, touchdowns, followed by a punt, but then they went right back to a touchdown, another punt, back to another touchdown, and then we kind of hit that territory where we're going to talk about it, but, you know, the blocked punt situation, and then you mix in a late touchdown as well to kind of put it out of reach. But ultimately, 11 drives against Detroit yesterday, five for 11, that in total, then, if you do that mental math, 9 for 18 in terms of touchdown drives over the past two weeks. I'm not talking points. I'm talking touchdowns. 50% of the drives over the last two weeks. And I think most of us can make the argument that about half of those remaining drives didn't really matter all that much anyway. So it wasn't, you know, they were, the Vikings were punting. And yes, the two blocked punts were concerning yeah. to say the least. But they weren't high uh, you know, a high issue situation, right? This isn't the Vikings trying to drive down and tie the game and they have a block punt. No, this is the Vikings trying to maintain a two score lead and they have a block mm-hmm. punt. So in terms of overall efficiency, 50% touchdown drives the last two weeks, uh, that continued of course against Detroit. And then of course, this is all being, you know, put together with the run game. Dalvin cook has been, I mean, unstoppable straight up. Like there's, there's no better way to win a football game than running the ball straight down someone's throat. If you can do it, if you can run the ball efficiently at the clip that Dalvin cook has been doing at 9.4 yesterday against Detroit. And uh, what was it? Five and a half against the Packers with a higher workload. So you're looking at what about seven to eight yards per carry over the past two weeks. If you can run it like that, do it 100% of the time. Mm -hmm. It's just that much more efficient. It's you can control the clock that much better. You don't have to worry about an interception, although you do have to somewhat worry about a fumble, I suppose. But it's the most efficient way to win a football game if you can do it. And the Vikings are showing they can do it.
1: So here are the numbers, right? Uh, I, I also have these ready for the efficiency of the Vikings offense in the entire season. Now, these have clearly been boosted the last couple of weeks by great performances. But the Vikings are currently first in the NFL in yards per play at six and a half, first a half. First in passing yards per attempt at 8.9. Uh, and first in net yards per attempt at 7.9. So that also takes into account like interceptions, right? Kirk has a lot of interceptions, uh, but despite that, he's still leading in net yards per attempt. And then they're also first in rushing yards per carry at 5.5. So essentially, the Vikings have been the most efficient team passing the ball, and the most efficient team running the ball. And so that's—I mean, it's—it's it's tough to kind of uh, let those that's numbers hard sink to in fathom. because, yeah, it's—it's it's hard to real like understand that the Vikings have been that good offensively given that some of these games, it seems like have been just clunkers. But if you look at it and you realize that like the Falcons game and the Colts game, like what really did them in was just uh, really, really bad uh, turnovers back their cousins that put the team in a bad spot. If you take those turnovers out, you know, this offense is moving the ball relatively well, actually extremely well compared to the rest of the league. So, uh, you know, they're doing it old school. They're doing it with the running the ball first, establishing the run, so to speak, and then going play action, which has kind of an old school philosophy, but it's working. The Vikings are doing it, and you can – I mean, Dalvin Cook is making a large argument here to say that, you know, he's worth that big contract that was kind of controversial.
0: Absolutely. And, it, and all of that, by the way, makes it that much more frustrating that the Vikings lost a couple one-point games, right? Mm-hmm. Or one-score games, I should say. Uh, this team now – you know, now that we have the information in front of us, we knew we know what has had officially happened over the past 2 weeks. Now this team looks like a 5 and 3 team and not a 3 and 5 team. And it's just all, you know, a wrong bounce of the football. And we go from being in a position where 2 weeks ago, I'm screaming that the season's over and at, you know, now I'm screaming I don't know beat the Bears and we'll talk. Again, we'll get more <laughs> into we'll get into that later on in the show here, but they, the Vikings have swiftly changed what, you know, the pers- the prospect of this season. I mean, uh, you know, if they lose to the Chicago next next Monday, things might be different. But the performance of this team it just doesn't make sense with their record because your de- their defense is not as bad it has as... not
1: been. It's been really improved the last uh two games, I'd say.
0: I would agree. So, the defense is not as bad as a three and five team would suggest assuming that that three and five team is the number one offensive team in the NFL in terms of efficiency. Like it just doesn't really compute like the, the numbers don't like, they I mean, it, up, it, it they makes sense.
1: It makes sense when you say, you know, you factor in, well, you have a, a loss against uh, Seattle at Seattle, which was, uh, you know, at the time. And I would say still Russell Wilson is one of the premier MVP candidates in the league. Uh, and that game easily could have been, you know, flip Minnesota's way. Same with the Tennessee game. Another really good team at only two losses this year. And so, you, you you know, I think when you look back to the Vikings, at least, in terms of the NFC, I saw today, too, the toughest schedule to date so far in terms of opponent winning percentage. I don't know how that compares in the AFC, if there's anybody tougher there, but the Vikings have the toughest NFC schedule so far uh, in terms of opponent win percentage. And then it's going to get drastically easier, as we've already discussed several times uh, already on the show, like the the schedule's gonna get way easier down the stretch here. And that is another reason for optimism here for, for Minnesota. And, you know, to a degree they have been playing better than their record. It's just really to me, it's just two really, really bad performances that are kind of watering things down. It's Atlanta and Indianapolis. Uh, if they had even competed in those games, uh, you know, kept close, you'd you would uh, you would kind of have some more optimism even about maybe a playoff push, like, oh, this team actually is better. But those two performances are just kind of hanging in the back of my mind as, you know, you saw, I mean, Atlanta, not a great team. Indianapolis, they're, you know, still kind of on that border of are they real, are they not? But um, those two teams wiped out the Vikings, and it's really hard to understand what happened in those two performances. But other than those two games, this Vikings offense has been fluid, been really efficient, and uh, really elite uh, compared to the rest of the league.
0: Absolutely. 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 So let's talk more about this offense and how they played against Detroit specifically, right? You talked about, you know, it really is as simple as a zone running scheme and Kirk Cousins running play action, right? Like
1: Seriously, that's it. That's, like I, all, that's the only formula and it's working to perfection.
0: So Dalvin Cook is doing a couple of things, right, that makes him that much better than everyone else, right? So you look at, honestly, the spread between Dalvin Cook and Alexander Madison yesterday against Detroit is a good kind of sample for looking at the difference between arguably the best running back in the NFL and a running back you can get in the mid-rounds and plug in and get performance out of, right? Alexander Madison proved yesterday that your theory and your long-running theory at that is accurate. You can draft a guy in the third round out of God knows where, in this case, Boise State, and he'll. you could plug him into a high-functioning offense, and they'll put out good numbers, 12 for 69 for 5.8. That's what you get from Alexander Madison. That's a great day at the yard, right? Mm-hmm. Dalvin Cook, on the other hand, the guy that you decided we all decided to pay, the guy that you and I are still kind of on the fence on paying because of just sheer principle, I suppose, is proving that by paying him, you get kind of a next level. And now the problem with that is, is that you don't pay like, yes, you pay game by game, but you pay for the overall performance. You're not going to get 206 from Dalvin Cook every week at this rate. You might. But generally <laughs> speaking, you're not going to get that. But this is what you're paying for. This is the difference. 22 carries, so almost double. And you get 9.4 yards per attempt, which is ridiculous and a complete outlier. Don't get me wrong. But this is the difference between your average plug-and-play running back and Dalvin Cook. And you can literally, like, it shows in the volume. Because when Dalvin Cook gets to that second level, and I said this last week, so I'm going to regurgitate it a little bit, but kind of expand off of, you know, what we saw yesterday. Because we did see... You know, I know there's 10 guys on the field, but the long run by Dalvin Cook is a perfect example of what makes him elite versus, you know, think of like Joe Mixon. Solid running back, not elite, in my opinion, because when he gets to the second level, Joe Mixon falls forward. That's a good thing. You're going to get six yards. When Dalvin Cook gets to the second level, he's got one defender in front of him, maybe a deep safety over the top that he sees as well. He gets past that first guy every time. And he does Mm -hmm. it by so many different ways, right? Whether it's his vision, just straight up, like, eluding the guy with his eyes and going to the different path to get out of that guy's way. That's one. Two, just straight up elusiveness, whether it's a juke or lowering his shoulder, ducking his head, doing any number of things that you can do with the little uh, stick on Madden. That's Dalvin Cook in (laughs) real life when he hits that second level. And three, I mean, he can spin. I mean, he can jump over you. And he's just straight up better at you at football nine times out of 10 than the guy that he's playing, that he's going up against, right? That linebacker at the second level, nine times out of 10, he's not as good of a football player as Dalvin Cook. Just straight up. He's just not. So Dalvin Cook is going to get around him most of the time, whereas a guy like Alexander Madison, you know, you'll take those eight yards all day long, but Dalvin Cook is going to turn that into 70. You miss, you forget a guy on the field, Dalvin Cook knows that guy's not there, he's gone.
1: Yeah, that's one thing you should probably know that's very Detroit, by the way, is that they had 10 people on the field for that 70-yard touchdown, a uh, fireable offense. awesome. You, you know, it's one of those, like, it's a bold strategy cotton, you know, put 10 guys in the field against Dalvin Cook. But right. uh, speaking on the value of Dalvin Cook, right, so uh, part of the reason that, you know, we are all skeptical is because the value of the running back position has been in doubt the past couple of years. And, you know, you see, like, McCaffrey and Ezekiel Elliott and these guys get massive deals, and you wonder how much, you know, is their production replaceable. Uh, but you look, so I'm looking at EPA per rush, right? So estimated points added per rush. Um, it's one of those advanced stats, right? To measure efficiency. Um, so before this year, the highest number back to 1999, which is sort of the era that it was tracked EPA, uh, per rush, the highest number is 0.167. That was Jamal Charles in 2010. 0.167. Okay. Delvin Cook so far this year is 0.196. So he is absolutely crushing that highest number out of the ballpark. So he's essentially been the most efficient runner at running back, most efficient running back season so far uh, through, you know, eight games in the last two decades. And that's including, you know, the Adrian Peterson 2012 season. So, I mean, I'm not saying he's been better than Adrian Peterson at that point um, or that season, but you know, what he's doing is, is truly, you know, it's, elite and it's historic so far. And now we'll get to see if this lasts against the Chicago defense. That's going to be much better than the Vikings have seen recently.
0: Dalvin Cook threw seven games, by the way. He did miss the one game, too. Still leading the NFL in rushing, leading the NFL in rushing touchdowns. Also, of course, naturally leading in yards per game as well at 122, which is ridiculous, (laughs) by the way. I'm going to do some quick math here. I can't do that in my head, but 122.6, on a 16 game pace that calculates to 1961 yards folks that's not bad that's not bad at all <laughs> no um i right, so Del- very
1: close to the all time season single season record i mean that's like 40 yards off of it if i'm doing right. my math right cuz that was yeah. so 40 something like that but like either way just it's i don't know if it's sustainable because there's a you know knock on wood but like there's injuries and stuff dalvin's not been the healthiest in his career, but just right. be. At some point, a team's going to stop the run, right? Like, and I would imagine the Bears are going to have a better game plan, a better plan for that than Detroit or Green Bay, and that's where this 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 game plan in itself of just pounding down with Dalvin Cook over and over won't be as sustainable. And then you're going to have to rely on Kirk Cousins just a little bit more.
0: Absolutely, I mean, at some point they're going to have to throw the ball again. You just kind of hope that for the Vikings' sake. That it doesn't, this train doesn't stop for a little bit longer, right? Oh, yeah. Because I, again, I keep leading into what we're going to be talking about in the back half of the show, but like, there, we got an opportunity here with a big obstacle in front of the Vikings. And it's either going to be the biggest buzzkill in recent Viking history, or it's going to be, a, you know, another step towards the promised land of getting to the playoffs as that seventh seed, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, all right. So outside of Dalvin Cook, which I, I could spend the rest of this podcast talking about, you guys all know that he's been outstanding. We can spout efficiency numbers till we're blue in the face and it will still come out and being number one. He's the best running back in the NFL currently. There's yep. really no objective debate about that. Um, if he keeps doing things like this, like we said, the X, you know, the numbers that it you know it, it comes out to our, our 16 game span are ridiculous. So. All, all right. right. So we went over Cook, we went over Madison, we went over Cousins. Now, there are other football players on this team, shockingly. (laughs) Uh, Justin Jefferson had a nice game as well. Only three catches. He did leave the team in yards with 64. But he continues to kind of show you that big playability, you know, down the sideline, getting himself open one-on-one against press and zone. Uh, He's doing a nice job in all facets of the game. And he's extremely reliable, right? When the ball goes up into Justin Jefferson's territory – I think most Vikings fans are feeling very confident with that right now, just based out the way that he's been able to catch the ball in traffic, catch the ball coming across the field. You know, even catching it when it's wide open, those situations that we've seen too many times where Vikings receivers have dropped it and a meaningful time, Jefferson seems as sure-handed as ever. He kind of f- fits that build that Adam Thielen and Stefan Diggs put in front of him beforehand, uh, and he's doing everything that you can ask for, and more, really, uh, another ridiculous game for him. Uh, and then, of course, you've also got Irv, Irv Smith, who <laughs> it's funny to call a two ten two 2 a breakout performance, but we kind of saw every. He was
1: due. He was due for a couple of scores just based on, you know, the last couple of games he's been getting more involved. And it was good to see him kind of show up as an option in the red zone there for Kirk a couple times there. I think there was one where, uh, you know, Kyle Rudolph was probably way more open than, than Smith. But uh, it was either way, you know, a touchdown is a touchdown. Irv Smith is doing his job and he's been a much better blocker, I think, than we maybe expected. So he probably deserved a couple scores there.
0: Absolutely. He gets, based off of the game that he blocked against Green Bay, you know, he deserved two scores alone. So uh, that being said, I'm glad you brought up Kyle Rudolph too. He showed up for multiple catches for either the first or second time this season, uh, three for 40, Uh, basically, you know, seldom used at this point in his career, but still showed up in a, you know, big moments, multiple times. Uh, he re- remains the reliable TE one that you kind of expected with Herb Smith still sort of mm-hmm. developing. Now, the last piece here is, you know, I'll just kind of we'll kind of gloss over the fact that Adam Thielen was quiet again for the second week because, you know, and, and kind of put That's that a down. That's result.
1: That's just a result of the game plan, right? That's right. what I was going to
0: say. We'll, we'll just pin that one down as the fact that they're not throwing the ball as much. Now, you get <laughs> the Amir Abdullah play, <laughs> kind of caught every, <laughs> kind of caught everyone by surprise, and I imagine anger too because you get a vikings touchdown out of a running back that's not named dalvin cook and i'm sure many of your fantasy lineups suffered but that was nice to see right i mean that's
1: getting greedy at that point you know you get like 50 points from cook last week or whatever and then you got 200 plus and two touchdowns this week like i don't know how much you can be complaining at that point but
0: i will say though that that amir Abdullah play so my buddy who doesn't watch a whole lot of football but is aware of how football is so like he knows like 30 the top 30 on the Vikings roster, not all 53. I was like, who the hell was that guy that just scored? And I was like, Amir Abdullah. And he goes, from Nebraska? I go, yeah. He goes, when did we get him? I was like, we've had him for like three years. He's not good in the NFL. And he's like, oh, okay. But he looked good for like that moment. He looked like Nebraska Amir Abdullah. Not that this matters long term, but I wanted to, you know. Hey, I revenge I see... game
1: touchdown. Revenge game touchdown against yes, Detroit.
0: That's so. a good point, too. That's also a great point. It's a great place to wrap that up, too. Um, and then on the defensive side of the ball here. Now.
1: Jeff Gladney. That's the big Brad. one. That's, That's a big one. one I wanted to touch on. That guy was a Go stud. I think it. he. Take it away. I think he, So he played in the slot all day. Detroit was passing the game, passing the ball all day. Uh, he allowed 13 yards in the slot, uh, which is exceptional. I think he had PFF said something about how he had the best slot corner day in the NFL yesterday. Uh, now, granted, you can say what you want about Detroit's weapons; they were down Galladay, um, but you know he himself in the slot. You know it was a lot. It was. He, he took a big step forward, and the Vikings needed that from the cornerback group that has been depleted and reeling pretty much all season long. So that was good to to get some positivity out of that group.
0: Absolutely. Um, so it's big, of course, that you get the young, you know, the young guy performing, especially because we've been question, we've had question marks about Jeff Gladney over the kind of the way that he's performed, but now he's just kind of looking like a rookie corner, right? High ups, high downs, right? Uh, that's kind of where he's at in his career, and this, you know, this level, right? This bar that he just set for kind of the standard of which we can expect from him on his best days—that's great. If we can get that guy, yeah, what ten times a year, he'll make a lot of, he'll make a lot of money in the NFL. Mm-hmm. This was a great performance by Gladney. Uh, also, huge for the linebacking core, right?
1: Eric Wilson uh, has a nose for the football, doesn't he?
0: He does. He definitely does. Um, whether it's picking up, what, does he have four total turnovers himself now with two interceptions and two fumble recoveries. I believe?
1: I want to say he's had one like three straight weeks or something where it's either a fumble or an interception or something like that because he's, I mean, he's he's around, like, if, there, if there's a turnover created by the Vikings, it's generally Eric Wilson has something to do with it, whether it's an interception or a fumble or something like that. He's around the ball.
0: And that's, you know, that's something that dates back to, I believe he was Cincinnati, right? Um, I remember mm-hmm. seeing he had a nose for the ball at Cincinnati. So this isn't new for him. It's just kind of coming together at the professional level, which is great to see with Anthony Barr out. Vikings obviously needed someone to step up there so that they could run a dime defense with two linebackers. They needed someone to step in and play, you know, plug that hole. And Eric Wilson has certainly done that for the past two weeks. Um, and I think he's given us reason to believe it should continue, right? He's an all-faceted player right now. He's intercepting passes. He's creating sacks or getting sacks himself, tackles for loss, pass deflections. He's hitting the quarterback. He's making tackles. He led the team in tackles yesterday with 13. He's doing everything you can ask from that position and a little bit more as well, which is big news because the guy who's playing next to him continues to be arguably the best cover linebacker in the league. Proved it yesterday in probably the game's biggest moment. Um, You know, with Detroit Mm -hmm. driving down with the potential to bring the game within one score, kind of a Vikings collapse situation, and Eric Kendricks takes it in the back of the end zone and, smartly, doesn't try to run it out, which was nice to see. So, um, outstanding performance by those two levels. I didn't even mention Chris Boyd, by the way, who I think had the best professional game of his career, based Mm -hmm. strictly off of a couple of big moments where he was in the right spot. Um, But the rest of this unit did well, too. I mean, you can say good things about Armin Watts, smart yep. Stefan. Your boy Mata Afa looked good. I mean, overall, I mean, Jeff Gladney is definitely the star here with Kendricks and Wilson. You know, kind of if you think of it like a Mario Kart, uh, when you finish it up and they put you up on the screen, right, and they got the first, second, and third place, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think of it as, you know, Jeff Gladney's your star at one, Eric Wilson at two, and Eric. Kendricks is kind of just resistant to the fact that he has to sit there at three for this one individual game. I didn't sure. even mention the fact that Harrison Smith had an interception, by the yeah. way, just because it came from Chase Daniels. So right. great overall game by the defense for sure.
1: Right. I mean, this is where you see football as a cumulative effort, right? Because the Vikings established offensively their dominance right away and took that early lead um, so quickly. And took control of the game that forced the Lions offense to be in catch-up mode. And that made things so much easier for uh, the Minnesota Vikings defense. So, I mean, yeah, there's an, an excellent game all around. The only, I think clearly the only concern here is the special teams, which you had the the Dan Bailey extra point, I believe. And then you had, obviously, the two-blocked punts that are something to, to keep an eye on as the Vikings move forward here where, you know, those type of things can be really damaging in terms of field position and, and, um, you know, swinging a win probability, if you will. Uh, but good thing this week is the game was kind of already tilted heavily in Minnesota's favor, but, you know, in a game like next week at soldier field where it's, you know, a different environment it's prime time Kirk, we're talking about, like, you know, a blocked punt can be pretty damaging.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, I, I, I I want to express more concern about that specific element here, the blocked punts, because in any other scenario, two consecutive blocked punts is a big problem. And I believe mm-hmm. it was the same guy on the Lions that got both of them too. Yeah.
1: And now, so, and I'm not going to act like I know who's that, who's responsible. Like I don't, I know a special right. teams coach or anything like that. I mean, clearly something went wrong and needs to be fixed. That's the only thing I know, but uh, that's just, it. it's, I think for the sake of, uh, you know, Minnesota special teamers, coaching staff and players like they're lucky that this game was already mostly out of hand by the time that those happened.
0: Right. This just overall, by the way, not a great performance by special teams just right. as a whole. Like those are the two big moments that like you can't have that those happen next right. week. Because
1: there's right. been some concerns about cutting to long snapper where he's had some I think he was a couple times high last week and low this week. So well,
0: there's uh, a missed extra point this week as right. well that might have factored in some place. You also consider the fact that K.J. Osborne did not look good in punt returns. Yeah, yeah.
1: There's, basically there's
0: ran load. backward one time, and then the other time took it out when he probably shouldn't have out of the end zone. So yep. overall not a banner week for the Vikings special team, but you're right. It doesn't matter this week, right? It's the mm-hmm. third phase of the game for a reason, and the Vikings did phases one and two so well that they were allowed to just basically not care about phase three. <laughs> That's just essentially not show how they didn't. And they didn't. Right. Um, and some, you know, if this score was 34 to 20 in favor of Detroit, I can assure you I would be yelling about the special teams yeah. right now. But I'm not because it's not that way. And the Vikings got the you know, got the W here. And with that being said, we can finally kind of talk about what I have been trying to talk about this entire episode. And that's kind of my our sentiments regarding where the Vikings stand now. Now, it would have been very, very set in stone had the Vikings gone out and lost to Detroit this past weekend, right? Vikings moved to two and six. You get your win against the Packers. You take that home with you. You know it. It was officially your 2020 Super Bowl. Put that in your back pocket and hold on to it when Green Bay fans try to yell at you, and you move on. We start thinking about the draft. That's not what happened, though. The Vikings went out, and again, like we have been saying, put together arguably their first or second best offensive performance of the season, continued to be arguably one of the best offensive teams in the NFL, and are showing real signs of improvement on both sides of the football. And so now you have a very real predicament because of what we talked about last week, and that's starting to come to fruition now this week. So putting an eye on the conference standings first and foremost, up top right now, it's New Orleans, Seattle, Green Bay, and hilariously, Philadelphia. Okay? After those four teams, their next three slots, Tampa Bay, Arizona, Los Angeles, Okay, the next two teams after that, Minnesota, Chicago. Chicago has a one-game edge, of course, right now, or excuse me, a two-game edge. Now, what makes that important is that the Vikings need the Rams to lose one football game. Now, one football game next week, and if they beat the Bears, they'll be right back in it Mm
1: -hmm.
0: as soon as next week. Okay. Yeah. So So here's here's kind of breaking it it down.
1: So breaking it so. The and for at this point we're looking at wild card right. It doesn't seem like a divisional win. Uh, divisional title is realistic Not, given that Green Bay is probably going to have enough wins to keep stay ahead of Minnesota, right? But you're looking at this wild card race. You mentioned some of these teams. You're kind of looking at Arizona, the Rams, uh, the Saints, or the Bucks, depending on which team takes that division. As of now, it looks like the Saints, um, and so the Bucks. But the Vikings essentially. Uh, and 49ers as well are in the mix. So the Vikings need to overtake three of the teams immediately above them in the race right now, which would be Arizona, uh, Chicago, the Rams or the Niners, while also staying ahead of their three win teams. So like Detroit, Atlanta, Carolina. And so and then and we're going to bring it up again. Minnesota's schedule moving forward here. Very. Uh, I don't, it's all four games are winnable, right? Chicago. Uh, is reeling incredibly right now. That offense looks hideous. They couldn't put up anything even against the Titans defense, which is depleted. Uh, then you get, you know, Jacksonville, Carolina, Dallas, uh, those three teams all at home. And so all of a sudden you look at that, you think four winnable games that puts the Vikings at seven and five. Now this is getting very optimistic here, but their chances at a playoff spot, given that there are now seven, they're growing quickly and minnesota has really two tough games left on the schedule that you could, uh, you think well they might not win these ones and that's at tampa and at new orleans other than that like the rest of their games look very winnable if they can steal one of those games down the stretch you know a nine and seven finish uh to sneak into a seven spot looks pretty realistic and of course we should mention like atlanta chicago san francisco they all lost this week and so that is also helping minnesota in that playoff race
0: Absolutely. So essentially what has happened here is we went from two weeks ago about talking number one pick um, to kind of last week where it became hopeful, not, not, yeah. not even hopeful. Like
1: the Packers uh, went obviously sparked something because that was right. like, OK, this team actually is kind of maybe good, like a little right.
0: bit. <laughs> and now all of a sudden the Vikings are objectively in a position where their playoff is playoff position is plausible. Not probable, Mm -hmm. plausible, okay? So now we have that in front of us, knowing what we do right now. The Monday night game is not going to affect the playoff picture in the NFC at all. The Vikings are essentially two and a half games out of a playoff spot. They have to play Chicago twice still. It starts next week on Monday night. Now, I think of this kind of as, from a fan perspective, right? The last three weeks, this week right now against Detroit, The previous week, last week against Green Bay and next week against Chicago as kind of three acts. Right. Think of like a Shakespeare play. You got three different acts here. The Green Bay one was instrumental. It's the most important of the three. It gets you back in it. Right. That victory was something none of us saw coming. Mm -hmm. We had already mailed that one in. It changed the entire dynamic and it kind of creates this series of events that we're now on this ride on now. Act two the one that the Vikings just got through against Detroit is probably the least important, but it gives you more confidence in act one, right? As a result of the Vikings victory last week, this week confirms that last week was not a fluke. This offense is for real. It's one of the best in the league. We have confidence in that element of this team. Now, act three is probably the second most important of the three, but it is the backbreaker, Mm -hmm. right? If the Vikings can win against Chicago on Monday night, they get rid of a bunch of tropes, right? Those stupid narratives that Drew and I bring up every single year it eliminates all of that first and foremost. So that's a confidence and morale booster right there. More importantly, objectively, it puts the Vikings in pole position outside of Green Bay to control the division. Because then all of a sudden they can beat Chicago again down the road at home, by the way, and beat the Lions. And they could finish this season with a 5-1 and record in the division. If they do that and miss the playoffs, that's like that's very hard to do. That's extremely hard to do. So this final act here to determine whether or not we should be back, right? The question this week is are the Vikings back? Next week, it's are we back or are we not? Because if the Vikings lose next week, it's over. But if they win next week, hey, we might be this might we might be cooking something here. And it's not just yeah. Dalvin. It might be cooking like a nice. legitimate candidacy to make the postseason as a team that you don't think was going to beat you, but could come from behind and beat you because they have the capacity to do so. All of that will be confirmed next week. And Mm -hmm. I mean, four and five isn't shabby after nine weeks of play or nine games of play, especially considering the Viking schedule, which you alluded to earlier.
1: Right. That's what I was going to mention is that the schedule is going to get much easier. And like you said, four and five based on games against, you know, at Seattle versus Tennessee at green Bay, green Bay twice. Right. You have all these games on the schedule that, you know, you kind of going into the season, we're thinking probably, you know, a loss, right. Or, uh, you know, even now looking back at where these teams are at, you're thinking, well, the Vikings lost that game. And, and so now moving forward. And it, I think, I think the way you put that is so, is so is pretty solid, right. Because that one in five is where the Vikings were before uh, the Green Bay game. And it's kind of, it, it takes more than just one win to think, okay, the Vikings can do this. Um, and, There is that three act situation, like three act play, right? Where act one is, first of all, they got to get, you know, wins against any, whoever the next opponent is, they have to win that game. You can't lose anymore. And it happened to be Green Bay, you know, the vision rival, uh, perhaps the best team in the NFC at that point, went out and did it. And then, you know, the next one is, you know, kind of solidifying that that case or giving support to that evidence. And they did that against Detroit and in dominant fashion. Now it's Chicago where you got to get rid of the, the narratives and the kind of spotlight that's on Kirk Cousins, prime time Kirk, blah, blah, blah. Like, and you can see if this game plan of Dalvin cook, Dalvin cook, Dalvin cook can last against a better defense, uh, you know, on the road, tough environment where it's again, another must win game against a team that is also vying for one of those wildcard spots.
0: Right. It's extremely important objectively emotionally whatever way you want to look at it this next week against chicago is the most recent opportunity for the vikings to kind of cast aside those narratives and this is as big of for the kirk cousins era not for the vikings franchise history but for the kirk cousins era this game is defining right
1: it's not as it's not you know saints playoff game defining but it's you know i mean it and the problem that that's going to come up with this too and this is kind of going on a bit of a tangent but if the vikings are to make a run here uh with the way that they're playing right now it's going to have as little to do with kirk as it could with like any quarterback in the league if that makes sense like the way the vikings play they're doing everything they can to take the ball out of kirk's hands and you know rely on other people on the team but with that said like the QB wins narrative is what's driving all of this in the first place. Like Kirk's performances statistically have not been that bad on primetime. It's just that his team loses because his teams are defensively giving up so many points. Yada, yada, yada. Now another chance against the Bears who are playing terribly right now uh, to steal maybe another win. And you know, again, four and five through nine games with three relatively easy home games. I don't want to say that with too much confidence, but relatively easy home opponents coming up after that would be a great spot to be in considering they were one in five after having a home loss getting destroyed by Atlanta just a few weeks ago.
0: Okay. So considering everything that we now know and that we've detailed and gone through Vikings stand at three and five is kind of begs the question. Now are the Vikings, the two and O team that we've seen the last two weeks, or are they the one and five team that we saw the first six weeks? So what I mean here is it's two very different styles, right? Like obviously the Vikings were competitive in Tennessee and Seattle, but their style of play when they were competing with those two teams was traditional 2020 contemporary style of play, right? Shootout, trying to beat them through the air, complimenting your offense through on the ground. It's the completely different story. I think we know which team the Vikings want to be, mm-hmm. right? Like that's objectively proven through every press conference that Mike Zimmer has ever had. But are they this team? or do they have to be the other team? I think because-
1: they ha- I think they almost have to be their run first team, which is 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 crazy to think about. but uh, like it, it just seems like you can't trying to live, while well, living and dying by Kirk Cousins in a shootout just doesn't seem sustainable or like a, you know, a long-term way to have success. And as of now, he's your quarterback, so you're kind of stuck with him and you have the best running back in football. So I think you kind of have to kind of hope that this, like the outdated philosophy of Zimmer can work just long enough to give this team a chance here in 2020. But I'm just like, as I feel like I'm being very hypocritical of myself because I'm very, uh, Still, I kind of I'm still subscribed to that idea that, yeah, you got to have a quarterback that can, you know, keep up in a shootout, high octane offense, like an offensive head coach. Passing the ball is, the you know, the most efficient way, all that. Like, I'm still subscribed to that. But I think the Vikings just happen to be unique enough with the roster that they have, with the coaching staff that they have that may be running the ball the way they do. is just the way it is for this team, because you look at like, you know, their percentage of running the ball on second and long second and short like clearly higher run rate than anybody in the league and yet they're the most efficient offense in football so maybe that's just the way vikings have to do things
0: last question we're gonna wrap this thing up now the tennessee titans y- your favorite team not named the vikings yeah yeah you're, tr- you're right they set a model last year which there are a couple teams following it now it's not just I like the vikings, i like where this
1: question is going i like this
0: Right, okay, so the ultimately what it kind of comes down to is Kirk Cousins versus Ryan Tannehill because the rest of the ro- these two rosters, we talked about it when they played each other, are composed very similar. The composition mm-hmm. in general is basically the same with the exception that Derrick Henry is a two-down runner and they throw in a third-down running back, whereas Dalvin Cook is a three-down runner who is not necessarily as dominant on the goal line or in short-yarded situations. That's really the only, like, you know, obviously there's different players, right? But generally speaking, the overall philosophy, the overall kind of output of these two teams is basically the same outside of those two quarterbacks, right? Kirk Cousins is probably better with volume numbers and just getting the ball down the field. Ryan Tannehill, on the other hand, has kind of been embedded within that strategy and kind of the same strategy the Vikings have used the last two weeks where yep. it's, you're trying to be efficient. You make the throws when you need to make them. You're going to throw the ball 15 to 20 times, but those eight of those throws are going to really, really matter. And we need you to complete those passes, and we need you to not drop back, get sacked, and fumble the ball into your own end zone on those plays. Ryan Tannehill has proven that he can do that at a high level, and that's still worth paying for because a game manager who doesn't screw it up when it counts and gets it done when it matters is worth just as much as any quarterback. So ultimately, here's my question then. Can Kirk Cousins be Ryan Tannehill? Is he better than Ryan Tannehill or what's the situation there? Cause we can, they went to the AFC championship last year and they beat the best team on football on paper, going into the postseason last season. They beat a team that wasn't supposed to beat them. They competed with the team that also wasn't supposed to beat them. I, I don't know. I I can Kirk cousins do that same job for this team. And can the Vikings make the same type of run that Tennessee did last year with this philosophy all came together.
1: Yeah, they can. I think Kirk cousins could be Ryan Tannehill. Uh, I don't want to get too optimistic with things right now, but um, that's exactly the formula that Mike Zimmer wants to use to win. And that's exactly what it's going to take. And if you look back at those Titans playoff games, Tannehill threw the ball like 14 times right, uh, in both of them. So that's exactly what it's like Baltimore he's doing too. now. Yeah, and I think you're right about the roster construction. It's very similar. The philosophy of Vrabel and Zimmer, very similar. Um, it's going to take a run. And, you know, as we saw with the Titans, they were 9-7 when they did this. And the Vikings could just get in and uh, I don't want to say, like, get hot like Flacco, like in 2012 (laughs) or whatever, right? Right. Or 2013. But it would take something like that for the Vikings to actually seriously contend. But I think it's very doable. And uh, especially, and I'm totally riding on recency bias right now, but hey, I'm, I'm good with that.
0: That's all we have right now is recency bias. And really, I mean, football is all about small sample sizes, right? This small sample size is pretty damn good, and I'm excited about it, and I think that you should be too. So with all that being said, you know, Vikings head into a very difficult Monday night showdown with Chicago. Or is that Monday night or is that Sunday night? I think it's Monday night. Um, Whatever night it is. They're playing against Chicago next week. You know that. Um, And we'll talk about that on Thursday here. Drew and I will be back uh, breaking down that matchup. Uh, the importance of that matchup, the important, uh, you know, individual matchups that we'll see in that game and kind of just asking the question, like, are the Vikings, can they really do this? Cause they're going to have a chance to prove that next, next Monday. And, you know, of course um, every other game down the stretch is going to matter here, but when you stand at four and five through nine games, uh, you give yourself a chance. And that's the position the Vikings have put themselves in by playing as well. They did the last two weeks and specifically against the lions on Sunday. So uh, thank you as always for listening to the show. Uh, We appreciate that. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, wherever else you get your podcasts. Uh, Make sure to check out the Climb in the Pocket Network and Daily Norseman. Uh, You can find Drew and I on YouTube as well if you want to leave a comment there. Um, You can also leave a comment in the Daily Norseman comment section. Let us know where you're at. Um, I've been reading all that stuff. It's fun to see where you guys are at and kind of uh, riding this roller coaster with us. So uh, thanks as always, and we will catch you later on this week.